Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So you tell me if I'm being whiny. You tell me if I if I come across as uh, as privileged and entitled here. But the Brewers just wrapped up a three game series against the Padres out in San Diego. They got swept. Uh, okay, but he, here's where I might come across as entitled or as whiny. Okay, game one, they lose two to nothing. I stay up until after midnight to watch. Okay, disappointed. Next game, they lose four to one. I stay up once again near midnight to watch. And I'm disappointed. Yesterday, we have an afternoon game. I believe it started at at 2.40. So yesterday, the Brewer game covered up the show. We didn't get a chance to talk yesterday. I rush home from work because I came in, got all my stuff done. I was like, oh, I'm going to go home. I'm going to catch the end of the Brewer game. Hop in my car. You know, third street's blocked off. Second street was was closed. Like, I I was rushing home, wanted to catch the end. And I I watched the Brewers lose 8-7, get swept after leading by two runs in the seventh inning. Now, you tell me. I, I feel like the Brewers kind of let us down. <laughs> we, we, we laid it on the line for the Brewers the last couple of days. Staying up late, rushing home from work, and, and they just really didn't give us the result we were looking for. It was a horrible road trip for the Brewers. Getting swept by the Padres, losing two of three to the Giants, losing five of their last six games. It has not been a good stretch for the Brewers. But then again, people who've been watching the Brewers for years and years would tell you that none of uh, the last week or so was surprising. Based on recent history, we'll talk about that more coming up uh, at about five fifteen. R- right now, let's let's talk Brewers. Let's break down the series. My name is Grant Bills. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Uh, the Brewers yesterday they were a-, a contradiction. They were a contradiction on a baseball diamond. They were so good, yet they were <laughs> they were so bad at the same time. You might think, how is that possible? Well, he- here's here's what I'm talking about. Here's my mindset. Here's my idea of what happened yesterday for the Brewers. So, the Brewers starting pitching has been bad. It hasn't completely lost them games, but it hasn't exactly put them in position to win a whole lot of games. In fact, we talked yesterday, or on Tuesday, we didn't talk yesterday, we talked on Tuesday about how quality starts for the Brewers have been so few and far between. Right? Six innings, three earned runs or less. Haven't had a lot of those. It's been since Brandon Woodruff's last, last start. Not two days ago, but but the last time around the rotation. Starting pitching hasn't been good. Yesterday, I'm thinking, all right, we got Zach Davies. Let's go. Zach Davies has been the Brewers' best starter all year. He's He's been putting up numbers that, that a Cy Young candidate would be at this point in the year. I know it's early, but but that's just to, to put it into perspective. That's how good he has been up until his last start or two. And I said, okay, he's had a bump. We'll get back to form yesterday. And he was bad. Two and two-thirds innings. Nine hits. Five runs all earned. Oy. He threw 72 pitches, only 40 were strikes. Like, he was bad. He was bad yesterday. And thank goodness Adrian Hauser came in and was excellent. This is what I'm talking about with a contradiction. Their starting pitcher could not have been worse. Zach Davies didn't even get through three complete innings, gave up five earned runs. Then Adrian Hauser comes in, almost in a desperation move, right? Anytime you're, you're, you're bringing a bullpen pitcher in in the third inning or in the fourth inning, you don't like your spot. Never has there been a fan or a manager who has who has jumped for joy or felt confident or or felt like things are going to plan when a relief pitcher is brought in in the third or the fourth inning. Yesterday, bringing Adrian Hauser, and he goes three and a third, only gives up one hit. He was excellent 
he looked really, really good. I'm actually pretty high on Adrian Hauser right now. He's looked really good, and I think he's he's filling what Corbin Burns did for you last year. He's kind of filling that role right now. Davies is horrible. Hauser was great. Right? There's your contradiction number one. Uh, yesterday with the offense. Obviously, the Brewers scored seven runs yesterday, so their offense was great. It was just so tilted. It was so one-sided. How could they be so good on one hand, yet so bad on the other? Yesterday, Braun was tremendous. He had three RBIs, two hits. Yasmani Grandal was really good yesterday. He had a three-run home run. Lorenzo Cain was actually pretty good yesterday as well. He had two hits, scored two runs. It was a big part of getting runs across the plate, right? Which is what we've seen in the past. That's what you want to see from Lorenzo Cain. But then you look down the lineup. Travis Shaw was butt yesterday. Orlando Arcia was cheeks. Whatever, whatever streak he was on, it has appeared to cool off completely, right? Travis Shaw yesterday, three at-bats, no hits. Orlando Arcia, three at-bats, no hits. Shaw also, uh, I guess Shaw had a walk. That's about it. Like, the bottom of the order didn't do anything for you yesterday. So good on one hand, so bad on the other. And yet, defensively, the Brewers showed flashes yesterday. Manny Pena gunned down, uh, what is it, Tatis? Is it Fernando Tatis? Gunned him down. Only a perfect throw would have got him at second base. In fact, the throw was so good and was placed so well that Tatis was convinced he wasn't thrown out. He didn't even move off the bag. He's like, I'm not out. Well, the replay indicated, yes, you are. It took a perfect throw. Manny Pena made a perfect throw. He was excellent defensively yesterday. But then you get to the seventh inning. The pitcher, Jeremy Jeffers, the catcher, Manny Pena, and the first baseman, Yasmani Grandal, watched a sky-high pop fly just fall right onto the turf, right in front of the pitcher's mound, which put Manny Machado on, which then allowed Hunter Renfro to walk, and then Reyes hit a three-run bomb to take the lead to make it 8-7, to seven, which is the final score, or what the final score ended up as. They were so good, and they were so bad in the same game yesterday. In the same nine innings of play, they were great, and they were horrible at the same time. And I, I just couldn't think of a more frustrating way for a frustrating road trip, and certainly for a frustrating series as the Brewers uh, were swept by the San Diego Padres. Tonight, they get back in action against the Reds, and we'll talk about that a little more as the show rolls on. Right now, I think of it as a consolation prize. Uh, think of it as a mood booster that we as Brewers fans definitely need. I have some Brewers tickets to give away. Uh, I actually have a four-pack of tickets for tomorrow night's game, Section 213, right above first base. Excellent seats. Uh, they're taking on the Reds tomorrow night at 7.10 p.m. So you got plenty of time to get down to Milwaukee. Plenty of time. Even if you're working tomorrow, plenty of time to get down there. I have four tickets. All you need to do to win these things is text me, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom Talk and text line, 608-796-2558. Shoot me a text and say what you would do with the Brewers right now. Because Mike Mustak has got his hand dinged. He wasn't able to start yesterday. Travis Shaw's been horrible. Jesus Aguilar's been horrible. What would you do? You're David Stearns. What move would you make? What kind of player would you look to trade for? Who would you send down to the minors? Who would you bring up? Or would you stand pat and see if the Brewers can't get it going? That's all you need to tell. What, what would your strategy be moving forward? Give me that. Uh, and the best answer uh, gets a four-pack of Brewers tickets tomorrow night. It's about a $200 value. 608-796-2558. Uh, you can win those tickets on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Outside of the Brewers, there's a lot going on tonight. The NBA draft is tonight. And it probably doesn't have the pomp and circumstance of the NFL draft. It certainly uh, is better than the MLB draft. I'll give it that, right? Tonight is the NBA draft. And the Bucks don't have a pick. 
They had pick number 30. They traded it away. Okay, we'll talk about that coming up and why that is so significant. Why that 30th pick didn't mean a whole lot anyways and why the trade and what they acquired is so significant. Players aside, names aside, it's not about the players. We'll talk about that coming up at 5.30. And I also, speaking of baseball, uh, and, and to continue with the Brewers, I saw one of the weirdest headlines, one of the weirdest stories I've ever seen in my life today. Sports-wise. Sports-wise. Obviously, weird news. Look, I work over on Z93 at night from 7 to midnight. I'm talking about a ton of weird stuff over there. Weird for sports and weird for baseball. And it's about the Tampa Bay Rays. I want to talk about that later on in the show today just to get a laugh uh, because that that's just whack uh, what's going down in Tampa Bay. So I want to talk about the Brewers coming up next. There's some things you can always count on with the Milwaukee Brewers. Always, always, always. Like clockwork. Uh, these trends, these habits show up for the Brewers. I want to talk about some of those. And maybe some of our more veteran Brewers fans uh, would be willing to chime in and talk about their experiences as well because I'm only 21 and I feel like my entire life the Brewers have been making these mistakes. Let's talk about that coming up next. The Wisco Sports Show continues here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. 96.7 FM, 580 AM. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. I wish we didn't have to be talking about the Brewers getting swept. But they are playing on the West Coast. We know how that goes with this Brewers team. I got four tickets to give away. If you're just tuning into tomorrow night's game, 7-10 first pitch. They're playing the Reds. Fantastic seats. Right above first base, section 213. I've sat there myself. They are excellent. And you can win them. All you got to do is shoot me a text on the five-star telecom talk and text line, 608-796-2558, and say, what would you do with the Brewers right now? Would you send anyone up? Or, or I guess bring anyone up, send anyone down, make a trade, if for who? Right? What would you do? What's your strategy? I got a couple already. We'll get to those here in a couple of minutes. I, I, I noticed something this weekend with the Brewers. It's like every game, every series is just another piece of evidence. My entire life, and I'm 21 years old, so if you are older than me, you've experienced more Brewers baseball than me, I would more than welcome your opinion uh, and your thoughts on this subject. It seems like the Brewers, uh, they they definitely follow some trends, right? They definitely have some habits uh, that show up year to year, no matter who's managing them, no matter who's playing first base, no matter who's pitching. It just doesn't matter. It's just a Brewers thing. You know what I mean? Earlier today, I was thinking about uh, the expression, you know, the expression death taxes and, you know, fill in the blank, right? So in lacrosse, you could say death taxes and potholes, right? The the three things in life you can always count on, death taxes and road construction, right? That's how I felt with this Brewers team over the road trip, right? Because it feels like no matter who's managing the Brewers, and in my lifetime now, I, I, I can think of and recall memories from this team being managed by four different people, Ned Yost, Ken Maka, Ron Renicki, and now Craig Council. Right? I, I can think of days where Ben Sheets and Derek Turnbow and Eric Gagne were pitching. And then, of course, you went through that 2018 with CeCe Sabathia and 2011 with Carlos Gomez and Prince Fielder and Ryan Braun and Casey McGee and Ricky Weeks. Right? Right? I, I, I have a limited memory of the Brewers, but I have a, enough, I think, to draw some conclusions. Right? I have enough Brewers memories and Brewers knowledge to to try to take a, a swing at this thing. There's trends and there's things that it, the Brewers have just always done. And it hasn't really mattered who's on the roster. I don't know if it's Milwaukee. I don't know if it's something in the air. I don't know if it's something about Miller Park. The Brewers teams in my lifetime have always done these couple of things. I tried to come up with a list. 
The Brewers always seem to be terrible against pitchers making their major league debut. Am I the only one who feels that way? Look, I don't know if the statistics back that up. In fact, I would bet that they don't. But if you're a Brewers fan and and and, and you're thinking, okay, yeah, I, I can think of lots of times where the Brewers have just been shut down by opposing pitchers making their major league debut. The other night, game two, the Brewers lost 4-1. to one. They're, they're pitching against, uh, or they're trying to hit, I should say, against Logan Allen. Logan Allen. You ever heard of him? Of course not. No, he's making his major league debut. Logan Allen went seven scoreless innings, struck out five, and gave up zero earned runs. In his major league debut, against a Brewer team that went to, uh, went to game seven of the NLCS last year and is trying to get back to a World Series. This is a really good team. Really good offensive team. Logan Allen. Major League debut, seven scoreless innings. It just, it, it just, it feels like it never ends. How many times have have I had to watch a Brewers game where I hear Brian Anderson and the Rock, or if you listen to Bob Uecker or Jeff Levering, however you're taking in the game, talk about, well, yeah, you never know with these guys making their Major League debut. I, you don't have a scouting report on them. You don't have any film. You don't have any knowledge. Okay, well, they're making their Major League debut. They're they're a rookie. They're a rookie to the to the. You can't be more of a rookie than making your major league debut. And it just seems like the Brewers always seem to struggle against these guys. I don't know what it is. It happened, in in my memory, under Ken Maka and Ron Renneke and even back to Ned Yost, and it's happening now under Craig Council. Like I said, don't the statistics probably don't back it up. Like, if you were to look at the all-time record against pitchers making their major league debuts, it, it's probably a winning record. They probably have done pretty well. But the games that I remember, the games that stick with you, and that's ultimately what we have as fans, unless we go and do the research. It seems like the Brewers can never hit and never get wins off of guys making their major league debut. And uh, Tuesday was just another another example of that. Just another example. One thing that the Brewers have always been terrible at. The Brewers have always been terrible in my life on West Coast road trips. This is something that I can remember as far back as as, as I can remember. Anything. Not just sports. I don't know what it is. The Giants could be tremendous. I remember the days where the Giants had Tim Lincecum, where they had a really, really good starting rotation. Right, Madison Bumgarner was in there. Tim Lincecum, remember? I I don't know if Tim Lincecum ever won a Cy Young, but he was at that level when the Giants were competing at the highest level, right? And then Buster Posey was balling out. That version of the Giants. Or the Dodgers. Or the Padres. Or the Diamondbacks. Fill in the blank. The Brewers have never performed well on West Coast road trips. Ever. And it doesn't really seem to matter what teams they're playing. I don't know if it's the air out west. I don't know if it's crossing the mountains that just messes with teams from the Midwest. They just they just never play out there. This stretch of games, the last week or so against the Giants and against the Padres, this should have, the Brewers should have feasted. In fact, the Brewers lost five of six games. They should have won five of six games. The way that the Giants have been playing and, and the, the, the way that the Padres... Just the, the team that the Padres are. They're a 500 team. They're 37-37 and 37 after sweeping the Brewers. It took a sweep to get back to 500 for the Padres. Those aren't great teams. And it didn't matter. They're going out west. Yeah, they're going to struggle. And I, and I don't understand why that narrative still exists. At least in, in, in this last week. The Giants stink. The Padres stink. I don't care where they... I don't care if they play on the moon. I don't care. Why aren't you able to beat these teams? Well, you're out west. Oh, God. West Coast road trips. Never fail to struggle when you go out west. It's the Diamondbacks. It's the Padres. It's the Dodgers. 
to the Giants, it, it just doesn't matter for whatever reason. I just the Brewers when you're staying up late, you're staying up till nine o'clock. The Brewers don't win when they're playing uh, out in the Mountain Time Zone. They never win when they're playing the Giants. They never win. I, I I don't understand it, but it has always been that way. The Brewers have always sucked, and this maybe more so than in any other way have always sucked with runners in scoring position. They have never been able to hit the ball with runners in scoring position. Let's stay on Tuesday's game. They lost 4-1 to to Logan Allen and the Padres. That was game two of the series. Just looking at team statistics, with runners in scoring position, the Brewers went 0 of 7. Braun failed, Kane failed, Thames failed, Yelich, Aguilar, Arcia, Shaw, all went 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position. 0 for 7. That's, that's miserable. I don't need to tell you that. It's, you can... You can draw that. You can draw that conclusion from those numbers. In game one of the series, when Yelich was the only runner to reach scoring position, obviously they went 0 of 1. They were shut out. Yesterday, the Brewers lost 8 to 7. And if you take a look at the box score and you start thinking about runners in scoring position, they went 2 of 9. 2 of 9. The Padres went 4 of 9. The Padres won 8 to 7. Yesterday, in the top of the ninth, the Brewers have runners at first. And second, with nobody out. And they failed to score. Let alone take the lead, they failed to score and tie the game and force the Padres to force extra innings. They lost 8-7, to seven and they went 2 of 9 with runners in scoring position. I don't know what it is, and it's not just this Brewers team. It was in 2011, it was in 2008. I don't, I, I don't know why. Teams in Milwaukee don't hit the ball with runners in scoring position. You could, you could take every hitter off this roster and replace them with all new hitters, and they would still, for whatever reason, fail to hit with runners in scoring position. I don't understand it, but it has just become a fact of life. Death, taxes, and the Brewers not hitting with runners in scoring position. Death, taxes, and the Brewers relying on home runs to win ball games. Always. Yesterday, Braun hit a home run. Yelich hit a home run. Grandal hit a home run. Didn't matter. Because they weren't able to hit with runners in scoring position, they weren't able to get enough runs across to win. It would have only taken one. It would have taken a single in the ninth inning yesterday to just get a run in, and they couldn't muster it. With Yelich up, with Braun up, they just couldn't do it. With Grandal up, couldn't do it. Runners get into scoring position, and this Brewers team just falls on its face most of the time. Two of nine yesterday. O of seven the other night. O of one in game one of this series. So when the Brewers aren't scoring any runs, it means they're not hitting home runs. That's essentially what it comes down to. And it goes back to what I talked about on Monday, what we continue to talk about on Tuesday. If you are a contender, and the Brewers say they are, their goal this year is to make the World Series, to win the World Series because they want to improve on last year, and you can't improve on last year without making it to the World Series. I mean, I mean, literally, they went to a Game 7. It wouldn't just be going farther in the NLCS. The only way to improve on last season is to make the World Series. And if the Brewers are the contender they say they are, they have to be able to overcome some of these deficiencies. You can't lose 5-6 to six against two subpar teams. You cannot go 0-7 of 7 and 2-9 for 9 with runners in scoring position. And you can't always stink for whatever reason when you go out west. Oh yeah, and by the way, when you have a chance to, to play against a starting pitcher making their major league debut, you have to hit them. You can't get shut out through seven innings by Logan Allen or Larry Allen or whatever the hell his name was. I'm not even going to pull it up again. You have to have some say. If you're a World Series contender, you can't say, well, well, yeah, we've always struggled against 
starting pitchers making their major league debut. We've all we've always struggled when we've played out west. We've always struggled to hit the ball with runners in scoring position. At some point, you have to say no more. We're going to overcome it. At some point, you have to say we are now better than this. We have ascended as a team. We are more mature. We have more experience. We have enough talent. And we are going to improve on what past Brewers teams were not able to improve on and ultimately lost somewhere in the postseason or failed to make the postseason because of it. At some point. I don't see that point near. I don't see that point coming up anytime soon, which is why the Brewers need to do some things here and there before the trade deadline with their minor league system and what have you. I have four Brewers tickets to give away. All you had to do was text the Vibe Star Telecom Talk and text line uh, and say what you would do to improve the Brewers' situation, whether that's through a trade, whether that's through a call-up or a send-down. Uh, and, and we got some good responses. Let's check them out here. Uh, one says, send Shaw to AAA, bring back Keston Hira. That's obviously a popular sentiment right now. Another says, hold tight. Bumpy roads lead to killer views. I've I've never heard that before. That's that's awesome. I'm gonna I, I'm going to steal that. That is mine now. <laughs> Jake says I would stamp out with our hitters. We are scoring runs. However, I would look into acquiring a bullpen arm and a starter, veteran, good starter to get the clubhouse a leader and a fresh uh, breath of air. Uh, one other says let's send Travis Shaw down and bring up Keston Hira to start looking uh, for a solid starting pitcher. Jen says Logan Allen had the power of John Cena behind him. LOL. Yes, he did. That's just and of course he did. Because he's making his major league debut and he's playing uh, against the Brewers. So, uh, thanks for the responses. Whoever said, and I don't have your name, hold tight. Bumpy roads lead to killer views. I'll reach out to you uh, during the commercial break. I love that expression. I've never heard that expression before. And I do agree that I think uh, to have success, you need to go through adversity. The 2010 Packers are, in my opinion, are no better example. So, Four Brewers tickets for you. Let me reach out to you over the commercial break. When we come back, I want to talk about the NBA draft. I know the Bucks don't have a pick tonight. They don't. They traded it away. It's really significant. And the player they got back in the trade, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. No, he's not very good. That's not what it's about. Let's talk about the details of what the Bucks did yesterday coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I'm having a blast today talking Brewers. We're about to talk some NBA draft. And if you want to catch up on maybe anything you missed, any part of the show that you missed out on, do it at WKTYsports.com. Put all of the shows on our website at the podcast tab right there so you can check out any time, any way you want, and uh, and maybe catch up on parts of the show that you missed. Or maybe parts that were, I don't know, maybe they were just so good you want to listen again. WKTYsports.com. The Bucks don't have a draft pick tonight. The Timberwolves do. And some news about 20 minutes ago to our friends just across the border. Minnesota traded the number 11th pick, uh, which was their lottery pick, and uh, Dario Saric to the Phoenix Suns for the number 6 pick in the draft. So they're moving up just a little bit. I, I don't hate the move for the Timberwolves. I don't love the move. And and maybe we'll come back to that if we have time. I want to kind of set uh, set up our draft talk first, and maybe that'll help us better understand exactly why I don't love the move for the... Well, for the Suns or the Timberwolves, I'm just a, a little bit confused uh, to that move as a whole. Earlier this week, we were talking a little bit about the NBA draft and, and how the Bucks have the 30th overall pick, what they might do with that pick. The NBA draft is a little bit different uh, than the NFL draft. The NFL draft is kind of the standard, right? Everybody pays attention. Everybody watches the NFL draft. You may or may not be a nerd for the NBA draft. You probably are not a nerd for the MLB draft unless you are a baseball purist to the highest degree, right? 
lot of knowledge goes into to watching college baseball, right? That's something that even that I can't handle, right? The NBA draft, I focus on a little bit more, especially on the top five or six prospects. Because the thing about the NBA draft is it's much more top-heavy than the NFL, certainly more top-heavy than the MLB. For example, this, this year, the 2019 draft is considered by many, and myself included, a three-person draft, a three-player draft, right? You have Zion Williamson, who's undoubtedly going to go number one. You have John Morant out of Murray State, who is undoubtedly, for most people, going to go number two. And number three is going to be um, um, R.J. Barrett, the other Dookie. And everybody thinks that's going to be the three. And I would tend to agree. I think the odds-on favorite are all of those three. And if something transpires in the first three picks that that doesn't follow that order, I will be shocked. And, and most people will be shocked as well. A three-player draft. Now, once you get past R.J. Barrett, things change a little bit. Everybody has a different evaluation of every single player, right? Well, the Suns might like this team, which is maybe why they traded down, or like this player, which is maybe why they traded down. The Wolves might like this guy. Like, like There's no consensus past the first three players, right? Now, sometimes we have that in the NFL as well, where, well, obviously, Baker Mayfield is number one, Sam Darnold's number two, Joey Bose is number three, right? Sometimes it lines up that way. A lot of times it doesn't, as we saw this year uh, with the Raiders taking Farrell or Farrell out of Clemson. Uh, way earlier than most people thought, with a lot of really good pass rushers still on the board. This NBA draft is a three-player draft, meaning the third overall pick is much more valuable than the fourth overall pick because most people believe there's a big drop-off. Now, you start talking about the 30th overall pick, man, well, there's a drop-off that's, that is massive, that is huge, right? It's different than the NFL draft. In the NFL, the, the 27th overall pick has great value because you can get a, a starter, a contributor, at the 27th overall pick, you can get really good players all the way through the first round and into the second round. In the NBA draft, it's not necessarily like that. College basketball rosters are smaller. There's fewer positions, right? There's fewer elite level players. The 30th overall pick is a, is a shot in the dark. Maybe you find a, a four-year player like Malcolm Brogdon or, or, or a couple-year player like Kyle Kuzma who's great. Other than that, you're probably not going to hit a superstar player at pick 30 or into the second round, which is why the Bucks traded away the 30th overall pick. And and not to not to go continue to go back to Tuesday's show, but I had a caller ask me, what do you think the, the Bucks are going to do at pick number 30? What do you think, or what player do you think they're going to select? And I told him, look, I, I am not prepared uh, to think or to know who the Bucks are going to take at 30. I, I don't know that many college ball players. I don't watch that much college basketball relatively. I watch the Badgers. That's about it. I watch a little bit of Marquette. I have no clue who they would be taking, but I said in a perfect world, they would probably want to trade that pick. And just to remember exactly what I said, just so we don't get anything wrong, I went and pulled the audio from Tuesday's show. This is after a caller asked, what are the Bucks going to do with that 30th overall pick? I have no clue where they're going to go on on, uh, on draft night at pick number 30. I think in the perfect world, if the Bucks could do anything they want with that pick, they'd package it with Tony Snell or Ursan Ilyasova and trade it away. Uh, to get some cap relief for this upcoming free agency period to try to bring back guys uh, like Nikola Mirotic or Brogdon or Lopez or, or whoever have you. In the best case scenario, I think that's what they would do is package that pick and trade it away. Package the pick. Package the 30th overall pick and trade it away with either Tony Snell or Ursan Ilyasova. Well, yesterday, that's exactly what happened. The Bucks packaged that pick number 30 and they trade it with Tony Snell to Detroit and they get in return John Luer. And most people might look at that trade and say, "Why that? What the hell? What? What? Why?" And I kind of agree. Like, I don't really want or need John Luer, and I don't think Pistons fans are jumping up and down for getting the thirtieth overall pick or for getting Tony Snell. But it's not about 
the players. It's not about Tony Snell or John Luer. It's about their contracts. It, 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 it could have been Tony Snell. It, it, it could have been Ersan Ilyasova. It could have been Matthew Dellavedova before that trade went down. It, it doesn't matter. The player isn't important. It's about his contract. It's about Tony Snell's contract and John Luer's contract. So they ship it away to Detroit because John Luer's contract is one year shorter, which means they're now on the hook for one less year and slightly less money. The Bucks saved themselves and created about $2.2 million in cap space yesterday. Let's just say, for example, Tony Snell is making $12 million next year. Well, next year, John Luer is going to make $10 million. So they're going to save themselves $2, or $2 million, $2. That would be a, a meaningful trade. They're going to save themselves $2 million, and they're going to get out from under that contract a year earlier. And you might think, well, $2 million, that, that's barely anything. What are they going to do? What free agent are they going to bring in with only two extra million dollars. Well, here's how it shakes out, and here's how it's probably going to shake out for the Bucks. Malcolm Brogdon is a restricted free agent, which means any player, any team around the league can offer him whatever contract they want, and the Bucks have the opportunity to match that and retain him. Very similar to like it is in the NFL. The, the, the Packers tried to do the same thing with Kyle Fuller, and the Bears matched, and they retained him, which turned out to be a good move for the Bears and, and a good play for the Packers because Kyle Fuller really lived up to the money he made. So Malcolm Brogdon, if the Bucks want to keep him for another year, they're going to be able to do so. They just have to match whatever any other team throws at him. They have that ability. There's really no reason for Malcolm Brogdon to leave except for money. They, they have the flexibility there. Now, Chris Middleton, on the other hand, is a little bit different. They're going to be able to retain Chris Middleton, salary cap notwithstanding, because he has been on the team seven years. And according to the collective bargaining agreement, the Bucks have what, what's called Middleton's bird rights. Right in, in, the, in the most basic terms, bird rights were created or were established for teams to have a little bit of an advantage in retaining their own players, right? The Bucks are a small market team. They've had Middleton for seven years. They get a little bit of an advantage in trying to retain him over, let's say, teams like Dallas or the Lakers or, or whoever. The Bucks can really give Chris Middleton whatever contract they want and not have it count against the cap. Now, now, there are parts of that that's, that's way too basic, that's way too watered down, but that's basically what it comes down to, is they can pay Chris Middleton a max contract and not have it kill them in the cap and in the luxury tax. So Malcolm Brogdon, they're going to be able to retain no matter what, if they want. Chris Middleton, they're going to be able to sign for whatever contract they want if Chris Middleton agrees. Where this extra $2 million really comes into play that they saved by training Tony Snell is with Brooke Lopez. That's what it comes down to. The Bucks can now offer Brooke Lopez a starting salary of about $12.5 million per, which means all in all, they can extend an offer now to Brooke Lopez that's about four years, $50 million, $54 million. That's what it shakes down to. They had Brogdon under control. They didn't need to trade Tony Snell to retain Malcolm Brogdon. They didn't need to trade Tony Snell to retain Chris Middleton because they have that advantage. Chris Middleton has been here, and they get a little more flexibility in retaining him. Where they needed a slight edge, a slight boost, was trying to retain Brooke Lopez. And this extra $2.2 million that they got from bringing in John Luer and dumping Tony Snell, that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Of course, this would be a, a positive breaking of the back, right, because they're retaining a player. Now, Chris Middleton could just say no thanks and leave. Brooke Lopez could just say no thanks and leave. But it's not going to be because the Bucks aren't able to offer them enough money, right? The Bucks' five-year max contract to Chris Middleton is as good as anyone else's. I would imagine 
a four-year, $54 million contract that the Bucks would offer Brooke Lopez is just about what he's going to get offered elsewhere. Now it's ultimately up to Brooke Lopez. It's ultimately up to Chris Middleton. But now the Bucks have put themselves in a position where they can offer as much money as necessary to make a pitch to retain these guys. Malcolm Brogdon was taken care of. Chris Middleton was taken care of because of that detail in the, in the collective bargaining agreement that gives the advantage uh, to, the, to the incumbent team, right? The team that's already and has already had that player under contract. The only area that they needed a little bit of a bump was Brooke Lopez. And this extra $2.2 million could just be the difference. You never know. I guess we'll see how it plays out. But the Bucks don't have a draft pick tonight. They traded that 30th overall pick to Detroit, giving Detroit some incentive to say, okay, yeah, we'll take we'll take Tony Snell's contract. We'll eat this money for you. But you got to take John Luer, and we want the 30th overall pick. Okay. That's good for all parties involved. This morning, I was, <laughs> I was thinking... Uh, just thinking about this trade, get ready uh, to prepare some stuff to talk about tonight and, and, and to try to talk about the NBA draft and this trade. And I'm like, man, what is it with Detroit? What is it? Why Why does Detroit keep helping out John Horst? Because they took Tony Snell, or not Tony Snell, they took Thon Maker, gave him Stanley Johnson, which they eventually flipped into Nikola Miritich. They traded Tony Snell. They took on that contract. They really didn't have to. I mean, the 30th overall pick's nothing special. It's a little bit of an incentive, but not that much. But they helped him out by taking Tony Snell. What is it with Detroit? And then I go, oh yeah, duh, as I hit myself in the face. That's where John Horst came from. (laughs) That was the front office he was a part of before coming to Milwaukee. And it's very similar to what we see with the Green Bay Packers and Brian Gutekunst. The last two years, he's gone to the phone to talk to John Schneider in Seattle. Two years ago, trading back to take Jair Alexander. And then in this last season, trading up to take Darnell Savage with their second uh, of their two first round picks in, in, in the early 20s. Because they have that Green Bay connection, because John Schneider used to be in Green Bay, that's kind of how GMs sometimes help themselves out. I'll do a favor for you. Yeah, you want to trade back? I guess we yeah, we can do that with you. I, Tony Snell, you need someone to take this contract? Okay, we're, we're rebuilding. We need draft picks. Yeah, g- give them over. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do you a favor, buddy. You used to work here. We'll help you out. <laughs> it took me almost 24 hours to make that connection, which is kind of dumb because it's something we've talked about on this show, talking about the story of John Horst and where he came from in Detroit. It's staying up late for these Brewer games. It's got my it's got my mind not working at a <laughs> not working at 100%. I want to talk about the weirdest thing I have seen in sports news in a long time. I'll also give you the Brewers lineup that's coming up tonight. They're playing the Reds 6:35 pregame, 7:10 first pitch. That all coming up next as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. <laughs> Wisco Sports Show, final segment here on WKTY. I have beef with Zach Heilprin right now. Coming at me on Twitter today, giving me a hard time. We need to get Zach back on the show uh, because we do need to talk. We need to talk about the, the latest commitments. We need to continue to talk about the Davis boys uh, committing to Wisconsin and, and maybe what football. I mean, college football is going to be here before we know it, guys. The summer is flying, flying by. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. We've been talking Brewers. We've been talking NBA draft. A little bit of everything. Let's go to the phone. Caller, welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Stage fright. <laughs> Stage fright. Well, call back. 608-796-2558. Thank you for the call. Uh, thank you for your insight. Earlier today, I was wasting time on Twitter, as I always do, beefing with Zach Heilprin. Uh, of all the people I thought I would get in a Twitter fight today with, Zach was not one. 
And I saw this, and I thought, what in the hell? And I thought it was fake at first. And then I looked again, and I was like, okay, no, this is real. And then I'm getting a, a text from a friend or two saying, did you, did you guys see this? What the hell is this? And I'm like, I, th- this was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. So apparently, the Tampa Bay Rays are going to explore the idea of having two home cities, splitting home games both in Tampa Bay and in Montreal, Canada. What? This was reported today by ESPN's Jeff Passan, and this is the opening statement from the article. The Rays have received permission from Major League Baseball's executive council to explore a plan in which they would play home games in both the Tampa Bay area and Montreal, Commissioner Rob Manfred said Thursday. While the plan is in its beginning stages, the Rays have embraced the two-city solution as the most feasible to saving baseball in the Tampa Bay area after years of failed attempts to build a new stadium. What? What? Look, I get baseball's having attendance issues. And, and and for most teams outside of Tampa Bay, I get it because mostly it's performance-based. Right? Like, Baltimore stinks, so no one goes to Camden Yards. Right? Like, I, I think sometimes it's just as simple as that. There's an empty stadium because they stink. The White Sox stink, so no one is going to watch baseball on the south side of Chicago. I th- That's not necessarily the case right now with the Tampa Bay Rays. They're 12 games over 500, and they're in a division race with the Yankees, with the Red Sox. I This is an interesting team right now. They're winning games. I, I don't understand why this solves any problems. I get that their stadium stinks, and it's ugly, and every time it comes on SportsCenter and I have to watch a highlight there, I go, Ugh. and I don't even have to go watch games there. Like, it would be enough for a fan to, to probably say, I don't want to go to a Rays game. Their, their arena looks like the inside of a shoebox. And I agree, it's not an awesome stadium, but this is the solution? The solution is to also play home games in Canada and be the Montreal-Tampa Bay Devil Rays? A- am I the only one who, who doesn't see the logic here? And I guess it's par for the course with baseball. Oh, nobody's watching the games, so let's make the games faster. Let's limit Let's limit mound visits. Okay, yeah. Because those are what really gets me during baseball games. It's not the the repeated breaks in between pitches to take off and put back on the batting gloves. Right? That's it. Baseball is a slow game. There's nine innings. There's a top half and a bottom half of each inning, which means 18 half innings. Yeah, it takes a long time. That's that's what the game is about. That doesn't mean you need to limit mound visits or have batter minimums for a pitcher. That's an overreaction. This To me, I don't get this. If Tampa Bay wants to retain their team and they want to keep the Devil Rays in Tampa Bay, then build a new stadium. How many other teams have had to go through this? The Raiders, that's what it came down to with the Raiders. That's what it's going to come down to with the Oakland Athletics because the, the, the Almeida Coliseum is disgusting. Build another team or we'll go somewhere that will or build us another stadium or, or we'll go somewhere where we can get one. Build a new stadium in Tampa Bay. The Twins did it. The Vikings did it. That's two examples right in the Twin Cities. You can't get it done once in Tampa Bay. Man, what a what a weird situation. So you want to have a team that's based in two cities? Like this isn't let's play one game in London for fun. This is moving a portion of our home schedule to Montreal. Oh yeah, by the way, hey Rays fans, the loyal Rays fans down in Florida who come to games, we are going to reward your loyalty by moving a bunch of your home games to Canada. And they're the Rays. There are no, there are no Stingrays in Canada. Like of, of, of all the other problems with this, like the mascot is, is probably the least, <laughs> the smallest of the problems, right? 
But man, that's just, that's just weird. And par for the course with baseball, with all the things they've tried to put into effect and all the rules they've tried to pass and all the changes to speed the game up. And it's just, none of it matters. If the Rays aren't getting people to come to their games in Tampa Bay, build them a new stadium. There you go. That's the solution. If they can't get it done, then move. Move the team to Canada. If that's what you really want, move the team to Canada. Don't halfway it. We have a, uh, one of my favorite shows is Parks and Rec. Uh, Parks and Recreation. It's kind of it's kind of like The Office if you've never seen it, but it's it's a little different. And, and Ron Swanson, who's the the manly man, mustache libertarian guy, has this expression that I've always loved, and I'm pretty sure I've said this on the show before. Don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. Well, that that would be the the solution for Tampa Bay. Don't play in Canada and Tampa Bay. If nobody likes you in Tampa Bay, nobody wants to come, nobody wants to build you a stadium, then leave. Like that, That's what it comes down to. I don't know. Oh, Brewers built a new park in 2001. The Twin Cities has done it twice in the last 10 years, or 10 or 12 years. I don't remember when Target Field was built. But it's been a while. Twice in one city. They can't get it done once in Tampa Bay. Oh, Brewers back in action tonight playing the Reds. They're back at Miller Park, so hopefully that West Coast issue... Uh, will go away and the Brewers can get back to winning some baseball games after losing five of six out west uh, and splitting that pair in, in Houston as well. Tonight's starting lineup, 7-10 first pitch, Lorenzo Kane, Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun. There's your outfield, 1-2-3. Moustakas hitting cleanup at second base, Grandal hitting fifth, he's catching. Thames starting at first base, Travis Shaw starting at third, uh, and Orlando Arcia and Jimmy Nelson go 8-9. So Jimmy Nelson goes again for start number three. He's looked good to start, but he is... I, look, Craig Council says it's not a fatigue thing. It's it's not a mental wall or a physical wall that he's running to in the in the third or the fourth or the fifth inning, what have you, when he's uh, kind of hit a wall and, and ran into issues his first two starts. He says that he just can't find the strike zone. That was his explanation after last game. I, it, it's not that I don't believe it. It's not that I don't believe Craig Council... It certainly looks like fatigue to me. And oh, and by the way, you can lose the strike zone because you get fatigued, right? Those two things can be connected. Jimmy Nelson back on the mound tonight. Kane, Yelich, Braun, Moustakis, Grandal, Thames, Shaw, Arcia, and Nelson. 6.35 pregame, 7.10 first pitch here on WKTY. Tune in, and hopefully we don't have to stay up as late. Hopefully this thing doesn't go to extras and the Brewers win a nice 6-1 to ball game. Uh, and they can get back to, to trying to win more games than they lose, which was obviously an issue when they were out West, and it always has been. Be back tomorrow. The Wisco Sports Show will return same time, same place, talking about maybe what the Timberwolves do in the NBA draft and what crazy kind of things go down, maybe some trades, maybe some moving up, moving down, who knows. Uh, and we'll also continue to talk about the Brewers, obviously, as well. Same time, same place tomorrow. Talk to you then.